do well as a cold storage place, that chapel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's just such a delight to uh, uh, see you. And uh, this morning, we are going to uh, take time out from uh, talking about convergence. We will come back to uh, that in a few weeks for the rest of the month. And next week, it's Marion who's going to be uh, talking about word gifts and convergence. Now, you may be wondering why we're doing those sessions. The point of them is this, that if we can discover our spiritual gifts, which will come as we exercise spiritual disciplines and we encounter the powerful presence of God, then that will be transformative in our lives. God's only guaranteed way of working is through spiritual gifts, which he gives. And that's the basis of our interdependence. Otherwise, we are just sharing helplessness. Whereas, you know, when it talks about independence of being a body uh, in the New Testament, it is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah? Without the... Uh, Without the gifts of the Spirit in operation, we're like a disarticulated body. We, we, the bits don't come together. That's from a, a detective series about a forensic anthropologist. Uh, it took me a long time to realise that an articulated skeleton is one where all the bits are together in the right places. So uh, we will come back to that. Word gifts from Marion. Uh, she's uh, been working on that. Next month, um, David will be talking about love gifts and towards the end of the month, I'll be talking about uh, the power uh, gifts. Um, but today, we're doing something different. We want to go back to basics. We're taking time out. And, uh, um, you know, there are three types of things there are things which we, in, in terms of uh, our understanding of God, there are things about which we have opinions, right? Uh, you may have a different opinion from me quite often. There are things that we don't talk about because we know people hold those opinions very closely, but they're not essential. There are some things where you have to have agreement on because it would be difficult to do church together if you didn't have that agreement. So things like... Gifts of the Spirit, the use of the gift of tongues, prophecy. You'd put that in that, that category. Uh, whether or not women can lead in the church, you'd put that into that category. But there are some things that are essential. And the longer I live, the fewer and fewer things I find are absolutely essential. The fewer things are worth dividing over. But what I'm going to talk about this morning are some things which are absolutely essential. Now, before we look at this recent picture, just track back a bit. Um, because six, no, 59 years ago, um, something was published called The Four Spiritual Laws. Okay, some of you may have heard it, heard of it. 59 years ago, 60 years ago, long time ago, Beach Boys album, All Summer Long came out, Sound of Silence came out, Hard Day's Night, 
all those classic things which to a large extent have never been superseded. Um, the, uh, uh, but that, that's how long ago that was and times have changed and for all sorts of reasons uh, things have changed. So Wendy and I did our training with Campus Crusade for Christ as it was then in 67, 68, just two years, three years after um, the, uh, this had come out. And it was quite easy to talk to students about four spiritual laws at, at that time. Uh, in what would have been a modern sort of society, people understood there were laws. And I remember one of the staff members saying to me, you know, I really find it easier to lead scientists to Jesus because if they understand the laws, it makes sense. Yeah? Now, these days, the idea of a law, not because of the legality of it, but the idea that there's a rule or that there's truth and that it's not just a matter of preference is something that we have to contend for and work for. You know, people do not understand things like the law of gravity. The law of gravity is there whether you subscribe to it or not. Okay? It's going to happen. You step out of a plane without your parachute and you're subject to the law of gravity, whether or not gravity is your truth. And so, we're going to go through this and we're going to talk a bit about the, uh, the four. So, um, let's... Um, and, uh, oh, come on, you. Yep. Um, so, the four, just quick introduction. Four things here. God loves you, that's the heart. The second is there is something that divides us from God. The third thing is that through Jesus, we can know God and be connected with him. And the fourth is that we need to make a decision. There are questions we have to answer. Now, you may think, what are we talking about this for? I know all about this stuff. Well, if you know about it and know how transformative it is, I can guarantee that as we talk about it, you will get more excited. You will become more moved. You will become more challenged and you will want to talk to other people about these things, whether you use this way of talking about uh, faith or not. Okay, so the four. And by the way, um, it appears in all sorts of places, but uh, with the talk, I'll post this little thing, um, which comes from something called FCA, which is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, um, which started in... Uh, in the States around about that, those 60 years ago. But the four is something that wasn't developed in the US. It was developed by Krusteig, um, the German uh, student ministry. And I assume that's either Lake Lausanne or uh, Geneva, Lake Geneva in the background. I was going to show you that video, but to be honest, it is so impenetrable. It's much better if you watch it on Instagram on your phone because you can look at it very closely. Um, because I wanted to get the point that 
these guys at Nottingham University this week are basing what they do on not preferences, on not, uh, not on saying, come to Jesus, he will solve your problems, but they're basing it on scripture. Did you notice that the boy, first of all, saw that tag, John 3.16, we'll come to that, one of the most potent verses that, uh, that we know. Um, uh, then he saw a black book, a Bible, why it has to be black, I don't know. He saw a girl uh, reading her phone on the bus. Mind you, looking over a girl's shoulders, like that's pretty creepy, really, even if you are 19. Um, and then uh, later on, uh, he was looking at a section from John 10, which we'll refer to as well. And I'm hoping that as well as getting excited, you'll find that this will fuel your desire to pray for those guys at Nottingham University this week, who basically are doing the same job as happened in the spring of 1968 at Birmingham University, where a guy called um, Roger Forster, who died a couple of weeks ago actually, came to Birmingham, and there for me as a Pentecostal, it was really strange because there was no singing, there was no evangelistic appeal, but in the council chamber, he talked for an hour. And the first half an hour, he talked about Nietzsche. The second half an hour, he talked about the prodigal son. And loads and loads of kids of my age came forward to become Christians. And Pam and John, probably, who uh, were at university at the same time as I was, can probably remember that sort of magic happening uh, where people found Jesus in large numbers. Anything seemed possible in those days. Still, on with the story. The four. Um, let's miss out the next slide. We won't worry about looking at the... Uh... Okay, now go. So, the first thing is God loves us. You know, it isn't obvious that if there is a God, God is loving. If you know anything about the Greek gods, people like Apollo, no, Apollo's Roman, Zeus, or whoever it is anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, those guys, they didn't exist anyway, but they were malicious, they were worse than humans, they were pretty frightful. In other religions, there are gods who are phenomenally exploitative, so actually, it is important to say that God is love. And it's important to work from there and to think about it. And, you know, even Paul in his day had this problem because, I t just, let, just let me give you this context and then I'll start looking at the clock. Um, he went to a place called Lystra. Lystra was the first time that he had a non-Jewish audience. When he was with a Jewish audience, he talked about repentance. He'd got lots of stuff that he could hang his stories on. But when he went there, what happened was he and Barnabas healed somebody, right? And within minutes, all these guys were coming along with flowers and with garlands, and they were dragging a, a bull along as well that they were going to sacrifice because... They thought that Paul was one, one Greek god and Barnabas was another. And Paul panicked 
it said that he ran round saying to them, stop, 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 don't do this, we're only people. His evangelism had failed. They'd got the wrong point. And he had to spend time explaining to them. And what he said was this. He said, you need to know about the true God. God has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And it says he had to go on and on and on to stop them from sacrificing to him. So that's the fundamental we start from. There is God. You know, for a while there was this big thing about um, atheism, which is on the, on the slide now. Some of you will remember that sometime in the last decade, I think it was, uh, Richard Dawkins and co. were involved in this. There are still a load of people around who are pushing this point of view. But uh, there were signs on the side of buses that said, God probably doesn't exist, so go and enjoy yourself. Well, that was a phenomenally arrogant statement to make. Yeah? And of course, the reverse is true. God does exist. So here's a chance to enjoy yourself. To be in a place where you can find good stuff. And by the way, you may be saying to yourself this morning, well, I agree with all this, but... um, Just stay with me, because we're coming up to something which is a bit more contentious. Next. This is where we go on to this thought about being divided, being separated. And this is where we get the idea of sin. Now, sin is problematic. And uh, it's a very good idea not to start conversation with people by talking about sin because they will say, I'm not a sinner. Yeah? And actually, if I talk to you about sin, some of you think, who are you to talk to me about sin? And that's, that's a fair comment, really. And so if we ever talk about sin, we do it carefully. There's a guy called Brian Zand in the States, and he was saying just recently that somebody in his church come, came up to him and said, Pastor, he said, we don't talk about sin very often in this church. And uh, so he responded to them. He said, well, you tell me what your sins are and we'll talk about them next week. Yeah? I'll talk to me about my sins. I'm not talking to you about them because you wouldn't want to listen to me then. You know? Yeah, that's right. A place where... uh, we can, uh, we can go and be absolutely open and honest. Um, but uh, the fact is that everyone has sinned and is far away from God's saving presence. You know, one of the things I've found over the existence of Dayspring is this, that occasionally I will talk to people and say to them, tell me how you became a Christian. And quite frequently, they will say, well, I was having a bit of difficulty in my life and uh, I joined a church and I decided I would follow Jesus. And since then, my life has been better. And that does worry me 
because it sort of misses the point. Being a Christian isn't here to make our life a little bit better. Becoming a Christian is because we're in a desperate position. You see, God sets a standard right here. Doesn't matter matter where the standard is. Okay? And it doesn't matter if you don't put cats in dustbins, if you give up your seat for people of my age on a train, if you do wonderful things all the time, there's always going to be some point at which you haven't achieved the standard. And because you haven't achieved the standard, you're not good enough. You know, not so long ago I did an exam, hardest exam I've ever done in my life. It was made harder when uh, one of the tutors said, look, if you pass this exam, you will join the academic club. And the people who are examining you will do everything they can to keep you out that club. <laughs> That's no wonder people... Uh, Uh, find uh, taking that sort of exam stressful. But God's not like that. It's just this, that there's a standard, but there's pollution in our lives. And I can't tell you how many times it suddenly strikes me. And it'll just be, might be when I can't sleep, that something come into my mind where I've judged somebody or envied somebody or criticised somebody or thought, negatively about something and I would think that is just awful and I still need saving I still need saving because although I hope I'm getting closer and closer the way it is is this that um, (laughs) there's a story that's told I don't know whether you've ever i I've never had a, white, uh, a cream or white trench coat, even when they were in fashion. But I have gone out wearing a pair of light chinos, and it's rained, and it's been dark. And it's been fine walking along the road, and then a car goes past and you get splashed, and you look down and you think, ah, I can cope with that. And then you get a little bit further down the road, and there's, there's a light down there, and... Uh, you look at yourself and you think, oh, that's really annoying, that's, that's mucky. You get a bit closer, you're wondering about it. Once you're right under the light, you say it's no good. I've got to go home and change. You see, our perception of what we're like, of where sin comes and how it affects us, is <laughs> to do with where the light is. And if we're standing there in our own light, okay, seems okay, we're no worse than anybody else. But when we come to the light, gosh, we look pretty appalling when we look at our hearts. Yeah? I've forgotten what the next verse is, let me have a look. There's this one, and I, I think, no, it wasn't the one that he looked up. You know, there's this famous bit which we're coming on to next about where Jesus fits into this. And it says, we all like sheep 
have gone astray. Do you think that describes you sometimes? You're with a crowd of people and they're being negative, they're dissing, they're gossiping about some, somebody and it's the easiest thing in the world to go astray with them. You start watching stuff on telly, particularly the adverts, and you find, like everybody else, your envy gets stirred up. You see people on phenomenal holidays and you think, why can't I afford that? You hear about people who have made great investments and are really enjoying their life. You think, why can't I be like that? All we like sheep have gone astray. If there's any wrong direction to go, we'll naturally join in with it. And that's what divides us from God. So, if you're feeling that's a bit of a downer, Dave, even if you're somebody who follows Jesus, it's good to think about that from time to time. Because we have to remember, when we get to this business of the cross, that there's a bit of an issue here. Okay? And that's where we come to this famous John 3.16, where we read that for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life. Now, let me ask you this question fairly bluntly, fairly clearly, because it does matter. Are you somebody who has believed in Jesus. That's not to believe that Jesus exists. I mentioned Richard Dawkins. He's not a remote relative of yours, is he, Chris? No, you're not to blame. Yeah. Right. I saw him, I saw a little bit of an interview. It's unfair, this interview, Paul, uh, Paul, that I saw. He got really snitty. He wrote a book called The God Delusion. And in it, he says that many historians don't believe that Jesus exists. And the guy I was interviewing said, now, now, now Richard, he said, I want to ask you about this because you've written that. He said, I have looked and I have looked and there is no, um, no ancient historian that I can find who, did, who does not believe that Jesus existed. And Richard Dawkins really got out of his pram at this point. He, uh, he, oh, he said, but, well, it doesn't matter. It's not an important thing. But, said the guy I was interviewing, in order to build your case, why do you find it necessary to tell lies? Okay? Everybody ex believes, everybody who knows, believes that there was somebody who was called Jesus of Nazareth. And you know, I think it was about AD 35 or something, apparently, if you visit the uh, Galilee area, you can actually see the plaque on the wall that says, anybody caught stealing bodies from graves will be executed. There'd obviously been something going on uh, which had caused a real stir. So, okay, Jesus may not have been God, but certainly existed, and you've got a lot to explain. But, so, believing in Jesus is not just believing that he existed. There's something more, right? And Paul in Romans says this, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and say, he's the one, he's the Lord, and will believe in your heart that God has raised him 
from the dead, you will be rescued. Okay? That's fundamental. That's where it is. Now, Nicky Gumbel says that the thing that has got more difficult over the past 20 years is actually talking about Jesus. People who go on Alpha don't mind you talking about God. They don't mind you talking about the Holy Spirit. Nice to talk about spirits because it gets all alternative crystals and angels and whizzy things and, and all that sort of stuff. But what people don't like very much is talking about Jesus. And we had somebody some time ago who became a really good friend who was part of Dayspring. Um, but in the end, she left and left going to Christian church altogether because she said, I want to follow Jesus, but I cannot tell my Christian friends, my, sorry, my pagan friends, that Jesus is the way to God, the only way to God. And that is where the crunch in our day is. Jesus said, I have a look at it i'm using verses i'm written down i don't i know but it says this jesus said i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you know me you will know my father also that's the way getting to know jesus is the way that we come to know god and when we talked we had to say, sorry, that's where we are. That's fundamental, that Jesus is the way to God. Of course, if you've never heard of Jesus, and there are some wonderful stories, he introduces himself in all sorts of ways. But if you have heard of Jesus, he is the way. Now, that's my question. Apart from everything else, is Jesus, your way to God. And that's where we come on to this business of making a decision. That's the bit about life. Okay, let's talk about this. You've seen that picture, haven't you? The one with the, uh, with the door by a guy called Holman Hunt. There's a version of it in uh, St. Paul's Cathedral very dark picture. There's all sorts of thorns around the door. And there's the crucified Christ, crown of thorns, I think, if I remember rightly, holding a lamp. And the caption is this, Behold, listen, I stand at the door and knock. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come into their house and eat with them and they will eat with me. So that's my question. Have you opened the door? Is the door still open? Is Jesus coming into your house? And we'll go into a bit more detail quickly so that we can finish. But uh, I like that picture of coming into your house because there are lots of rooms in your house. It's very easy keep Jesus out of some of those rooms. We can keep him out of our sex life, we can keep him out of our thought life, 
Loads of people keep Jesus out of their work life. And uh, however much we try, sometimes we end up pushing them out of the place where we store our anxieties. Find ourselves saying, sorry Jesus, I would love you to come and stay in my spare room. But the bed is piled up with all these anxieties and you can't possibly come in here, right? Even when he offers you the chance to chuck the stuff away, yeah? So, let's go on and let's finish. Finish with this, excuse me, coat, pens. (laughs) Okay, now this is the bit that in all these 60 years, when they transformed the four to uh, um, transform four spiritual laws to four, nobody ever changed because there's no better way of dealing with this. And uh, we just want to go through and talk about how Jesus becomes your Lord and Saviour. Okay? Not long after I'd done this training, I was in a really bad mood. And I was in the university refectory and I was eating before I went back to, uh, to, to my, the place where I lived. I don't know, it's probably after a weekend that I've been home and spent it with Wendy and so was back feeling lonely and miserable as a student. And a guy came in who had been at our mission for the first week. It must have been the second week of the second year. Um, because he, uh, he came in and was eating. He was new. He was a dental student. All dental students are pretty odd. Um, it's a very, very odd occupation when you think about it, really. But uh, anyway, he came in and we sat down together and uh, I said to him, Have you enjo- did you enjoy the mission? And he said, yes. And he said, but I said to him, well, have you thought about this? And uh, we went through this and there was a cigarette packet uh, in the ashtray and I pulled out the inside of it, opened it flat and uh, we drew two circles like this. Some of you will be familiar with these two circles. And we said, everybody has got a throne in their lives. Okay? Here's your throne. You could call it the driving seat, if you like. And... Almost everybody has self on their throne. In those days, because it was a time when uh, all that stuff, the new left and so on, were, was really big, sort of Freudian uh, thinking and so on. We didn't talk about self, we talked about ego. It was a posher word, worked well with students then. But let's go with self, Okay. Self is on the throne. Jesus is outside. 
is not in the equation. And because of this, there are all sorts of things in our lives that can't possibly really sync, can't possibly fit together. But it is possible for the situation to change. So that we invite Christ to be at the centre of our lives, to be the one with the steering wheel, the one that means that when we've got anxiety issues, we say, I can't deal with this, but Jesus, you can. Be the one at the steering wheel in my life. Take over. However many times I feel I'm pushing you off the driving seat and trying to take over, I will invite you back to be in control. And in that way, gradually, with self-demoted, sorry, you just have to bend your head to see the screen, things begin to fit together. And we begin to realise that if we start with things getting out of order and unsorted, the first thing we've got to do is to look at who's on the throne, who's in the seat. And uh, I came up with the, the obvious question to the lad I was talking to was, I said to him, which one of these pictures describes your life more? Is it this one? Or is it this one? And he said, it's this one. And I said, would you like to pray? Would you like to invite Jesus to be at the centre of your life? And he said, yes. Yes, yes. And we prayed. The following year, I graduated. And uh, after about six months, we were married by then, went up to visit uh, our friends who had also graduated as well, Hayden and Kerry. And we went to visit the CU that evening. And uh, there was that guy who had begun to follow Jesus and was still following Jesus. So here's my question. I don't know how many how involved you are with church, but the question stands, doesn't it, for all of us. Going to the garage, anybody ever been to a garage in their life? Yeah, been to a garage? Doesn't make you a car, does it? No. no. Going to a garage doesn't make you a car nor does going to church make you a follower of Jesus. Yeah? A follower of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. Somebody who said, you will be Lord of my life. So, what do we do next? Well, I want to take a little step further as we finish to make an announcement and I am delighted that I have permission Oh, get rid of that. Become our Lord 
as well as our Saviour. We become that way by following him and we choose to follow him. And one of the big ways in our church tradition is that we celebrate this is through something you will see, have seen and will know about called baptism. And uh, it's funny, some people get baptised very quickly after becoming a Christian. Some people delay it for unimaginable reasons. And uh, we're going to have baptisms on Easter Day. Yeah? We're very happy to have baptisms for one person. But we wouldn't mind seeing more people baptised who say, I want to follow Jesus. Right? Doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, or even whether you were baptised, christened when you were small, because you couldn't really make the decision for yourself. If you want to affirm the fact that you're following Jesus, then that's a great thing to do. We're very careful when we baptise people. I can remember seeing somebody baptised who had polio, and he was lifted out of his wheelchair, lifted into the pool, and was baptised because he wanted to follow Jesus. When we are baptised, it is like being buried and lifted to new life again. Yeah? When it is, when we are baptised, it is like being washed and made clean. There are all sorts of pictures in the Bible, and even Jesus chose to be baptised, right, to fulfil all righteousness. So that's my story this morning, okay? That's what we've talked about. I've talked about the lad who became a Christian when I drew two circles on the back of a fag packet. I've talked about the person who just couldn't stick with the idea that Jesus was the one who uh, was the only way to God. We've talked about the fact that we all sin and we've all got issues. And so my question is, have you asked Jesus to be the one at the centre of your life? And if you have, aren't you making a proper job of enjoying it? Because sometimes you don't. A blessing. And then we'll get a cup of coffee.